You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting me. And uh, support the new show, uh, In Love with Michael Rosenbaum and Chris Sullivan. You could uh, subscribe to that. If you see it on the Inside of You feed, that's because we're trying to give it some life. You know, Inside of You never had life in the beginning. So we're trying to give a little boost in love. I love Chris Sullivan. I love working with him. If you haven't seen This Is Us, he's brilliant, and he's, he's got a heart of gold, and he's making me a better person, and hopefully you guys as well. What else? I am going to be in um, Columbus, October 18th, Columbus, Ohio, for a convention with Tom Welling. We're going to be signing in Madison, Wisconsin on October 25th, November 8th in Austin. And then my band, Left on Laurel, guys, is going to be in Germany. Left on Laurel, we made a debut album. It's on iTunes. You can go to the iTunes store. And you can look up Left on Laurel, the album Saved by the Ground. You can pre-order it now, and then it will be available on all platforms October 4th. We're really excited about that. So um, check that out. Merch to come, hats, shirts, stickers, and all that jazz. Today's guest, we're going to get inside, Jamie King. I've known Jamie a little while. Her husband and I, we tried to write a couple of scripts and sell them. And we loved the work, but they didn't get sold but she's been married for a while. They have two kids. She's got a pretty crazy career. Right now, she's on a show called Black Summer, which is really cool if you're into zombies. And um, it's shot really well. It's on Netflix. So check that out. I mean, I think you're going to really dig it. She's got a pretty crazy career. She started so young as a, like a supermodel. Could you imagine being a supermodel at like 14 years old? I'm sitting there popping zits in the mirror at 14 years old. Thinking, God, get me out of this town. But she's been in everything. Sin City, Pearl Harbor. You've seen her in so many things. And um, it's really exciting to get inside of her today. She's really open and honest. And I, some people, I get a little nervous. Like, oh, did I ask the wrong thing? Can I ask? Fuck, man. She just lets go. Also, next week, I'm announcing it now. Supernatural week. If you're not a show a fan of Supernatural, I mean, this show has been going on forever. People love it, so I had to get the guys on the show. So next week, starting Tuesday, October 1st, we've got four of the big guns coming on. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. All next week is Supernatural week. So get your Frosty, get your chips, get your friends, have a listen. You guys have been asking me a long time. Supernatural Week is next week. Let's get inside of Jamie King. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. All right. Oh, my God. I'm out of breath. I know. I'm always out of breath, though. I'm out of breath. You know, you should be out of breath because I look. I walked outside of my house just now, and Jamie King is walking up the street, and I have a steep hill. And I'm like, why are you walking up the hill? I saved three spots in the driveway for you. Did you Uber? No, I drove from Ojai. You drove from Ojai to see me? Of course. Get lost. No, I got. I was in Ojai. I drove from Ojai. That's like an hour. I know. It's like two hours. But you have other things planned. No, I just like you're going to go see Selma. You're going to go see. No, I literally came for you. You know, it's funny as I got your message late last night. I I, I swear to God. By the way, I really like that. You're I'm like, oh, I don't feel so bad that I never answer my phone. I never answer my phone because I'm so distracted with ADD all over the place all the time that if I start answering it or have my people always have their phone beeps and they're always looking at it. What do you look at your phone anyway? Once every 20 minutes, 10 minutes anyway. Can you wait 10 minutes? People can't. It makes me nuts. I mean, people, we, everyone, right? Mm. Are you better at it? I think I am probably because I sort of, I think it romanticized the idea of being here. You know what I mean? And I, and it's the same thing. Like if I'm not very good at multitasking, I think some people would be like, that's not true, but I, I don't like to, like if I'm doing something, I want to be present and I want to be here. How are you I get pres- really anxious. Yeah. But you have two kids, you have yeah. a husband, you have a career. I can't be present. I'm alone, single. I have two dogs. I, I mean, I'm all over the place. Yeah. And on ADD medication. Yeah. Do you, are you on ADD medication? No, but I should be. Have you ever been on medication? Um, is that a personal question? It no, is. Well, it's personal, but we're friends. Let's see. <laughs> uh, I was on medication after I had my first child because I James. had, yeah, James Knight. And James Knight. No, I take that back. It wasn't James Knight. It was uh, Leo? Leo Thames. Leo. Leo I said Theo. Separate Leo and Thames together. Leo Thames, yeah. Thames. Like 
the river. T h a m e s. Yes. In England. Yeah. I got it right. See, that was pretty good. Did you know that, Mia? The River Thames in England. I, I've heard of it. I yeah. didn't know that was your kid's name. Well, you're 25. You can get away with not knowing the Thames. I'm though. sure I've seen it. You probably would know most notably because Meghan Markle got married at Windsor, which is next to the River Thames. Have you been to Windsor? I have. I was married there. You were married at Windsor Castle? Nobody knows that. Well, oh, God, now everybody knows. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. You were really married in Windsor? What? No one's ever married in Windsor except if Nobody, you're royalty. I can't believe I just said that out loud. You must know someone. Does it rhyme with fail or fwift? Mm. Has nothing to do the with way that. Before the way before. The way before. Yeah, you Yeah, you were married. You've been married. I'm going to guess. Whew, I'm going to go 10 years. Longer. No. Really? Mm-hmm. 13. Mm-hmm. 13 years. Crazy. With Kyle Newman. Kyle Newman. My good buddy. He's a good guy. He is a good guy. And you met on Fanboys. Yep. And he was directing Fanboys. Yes. And you fell in love. Did you guys uh, hook up on the set? Nope. I've never hooked up with anybody on set. You mean you wait till they call the day's over? Never. And then you go hook not up? even Are that. you saying you wait nope. till the movie's over, wait till the show's over? I, um, when I'm shooting, I think I can be kind of like, you know, I'm very to myself a lot because I'm so focused on what it is that I'm doing and... I'm not very good at being social and, you know, doing the, the work at the same time. I just, it's just it so gets in me that it, it's like a discipline. And so the idea of, you know, hooking up with someone on set seems so crazy to me because you think about all the dreams, right, that are on the line and all the money and all the time. And it's, and it's like a distraction. One fuck, like you can fuck and then what? You, you fuck it up. All that matters is between action and take, right? Like that's what's putting, you know, food on the table. Right. For everybody. So um when I met him, uh, I was sort of taken aback because I, I'd never met him personally. It was, you know, someone had asked me if I would go do the movie and I showed up and um I couldn't believe how young he was and I and I immediately was like, Oh, that's he's beautiful and oh wow, he's really young and then boom, like straight back into the work. You thought Kyle was beautiful. Your husband, when you saw him for the first time directing you, he's beautiful. I think that anybody that's doing what they love and you see them in the process of doing that, that's beautiful. Yeah, he is passionate. Deeply. Deeply passionate. And like that's you. what you saw. Yes. I'm passionate, but yes, I think, you know, I watched the two of you. I remember just being at your place once and you were just going over an audition once. Mm-hmm. And I respected you so much because you cared so much about you wanted to be great. You yes. wanted it to just pop. And you were like, you know, you were working on this accent. And I watched it. I'm like, she's so good. And she's so focused. And it's weird. Even when I get, so, I'm always anxious. So even when I'm auditioning, even when I'm um, for a, for a, for anything, just yeah. like when I'm working on an audition, I'm still nervous. I'm always thinking about, oh my God, who's going to be there? It's going to be this. I, it's very hard for me to just not be distracted and it's hard for me to focus. And you. it seems like you really don't, even though you probably do care what people think, you don't let it interfere with your work. I think that I, tr- <sighs> that's a really interesting question. Cause I, I was prepping for this audition this week and I started the work on, I got it on Saturday. It's for one of my favorite filmmakers and a filmmaker that's been deeply supportive of me as a filmmaker too. And coached on it on Saturday. Then I did the body work on Sunday. It was like, I was just like really, you know, like I always do, just do the work on it. And something kept blocking me. And I, it was this terror. And the terror was like, I can't do it. Like something doesn't feel right. It feels like I'm acting. I don't want to feel like I'm acting. And and I and I got really scared. I'm like, okay, what the fuck is going on here? Is this like my anxiety? You know, because again, you talk about being anxious. I've always been anxious, like my whole my whole life. And the natural tenor of my physicality and my body is so sensitive that I've had to find a way to put it into something because, you know, like Oscar Wilde, I was reading this quote that he said last week, and he said something to the effect of like, if you give a man a mask, he'll tell you his truth. Mm, When you could hide behind something. Exactly. And so I was like, whoa, that's what it is because my whole life I felt so out of place so through acting or storytelling, I felt like I could be me because I could go into the deepest levels of my psyches, you know, whether it's the really very much like the shadow side and the light side and really unzip my soul 
and merge that with the soul of the character and put that out there. Because as you know, like when, when we're in the process of acting, it's, it's not doing anything. It's receiving and, and giving it back. And it's like you're out of your body, right? Because you've done the work and then you're liberated in the moment because it's just you and, and the people within the scene. And, and it comes to a place where it's actually transcendent because you're so connected. And that's all we really want right? For me, like that's all my, when I feel that anguish inside my heart, it's like, which is very consistent. I'm like, okay, what is that thing? And it's this deep, deep need for intimacy, which is the into me see, which is the, Ooh, into you know? me see. Yeah. Like into me see into, into me, me. Yeah. See. Into me see. That is pretty intense. And I still haven't done the audition yet. I called my manager yesterday. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, you need a break. You're exhausted. Yeah, because well, I, I don't know how to do anything halfway, right? So it's like when you see people getting all this stuff done, I'm like, how the how do they do it? Like looking at your friend, I'm like, how does he get it all done? I don't well, know how to do it. This room hasn't changed. Oh, I know. I know. But it's the idea of like tasks, right? Like people, I admire people that are able to do a lot of tasks and just be okay with it not being perfect because there really is no such thing as perfection. But my need for excellence is very... Uh, can be self-sabotaging you have no idea i just i've just been through this i haven't talked about it in full but i went to a uh, a wellness center which my listeners know they're going here it goes good but, uh, i went to a wellness center for three weeks and um which one did you go to uh it's, it's called Privé swiss it's up in connecticut and oh uh, i know what one you're talking about right it was a, yeah. it, it was a beautiful experience and very very tough yeah one me. of my one of my best friends went and i feel changed like their life. i feel like i grew up in three weeks i'm not saying i'm an adult I just feel like there's more of a sense of, like, I feel more like a human being. I feel more con- like I'm, I can connect to people more. I feel like uh, I want to love more. I want to feel like I want to be loved. Mo- mo- most importantly, that was one of their things. They were like, you need to allow yourself to be loved. You don't trust it because, you know, of, you know, past and all of course, this shit. Trauma. And so you need to, it's going to go, Michael, it's going to be very hard for you. You are going to find something wrong with the other person. You're going to push them away so you don't get hurt. If you trust something, if there are red flags, obviously, if there are real red flags, run. But if there are things you can deal with, then give it a chance. Try. And I do give it a chance, but I always get in the way. I always get in the way. My mind always gets in the way. And this thing just really, uh, this th- these three weeks... It, believe it or not, like four days before, I'm like, well, how am I going to be, you know, my friend Tom goes, what are you going to do in the real world, dude? And I, and I thought, oh my God, but I have been journaling every day for 50 days straight, meditating 50 days straight. I have been doing the work and I sat with my brother who he's a drinker and he, you know, I could tell he wants to change his life. And I, you know, I'm like, dude, look, I was rock bottom, man. It, all it is, is taking one step at a time, but really it's it's 21 days to break a habit, but if you just don't like something about yourself and you see yourself doing the same thing, habitual, right? Mm-hmm. If you just change that, instead of waking up and looking at my phone, I wake up and I immediately meditate for 25 minutes. There's no looking at my phone. And then I go for a walk and then I feed the dogs and then I do. And then when I eat breakfast, that's when I can look at my phone and you have an hour. And then you're going to get going. And if you don't have anything, you're going to keep busy. You're going to go for a fucking hike. You're going to do some charity work. You're going to do whatever. You're going to do hands-on. You're going to feel. And I'm forcing myself to feel. And it's really easy to feel once you start to understand, like, all you need is some connection, dude. You just need to really connect and not make it all about fucking you. Yeah. You know? And you have kids and you have a husband and you have work and you have all these things and i'm like oh my god what would i have done i would have fucking jumped off a roof well you feel like you want to i mean i felt like i want to sometimes you know because i know what you're talking about it's interesting because it's the idea of structure so when we have a structure externally and internally then it creates structure throughout our lives so it's the idea that discipline leads to freedom what does discipline look like and it's not strict or stern because it's all about the intention of where that's coming from, right? So when you get up and you meditate in the morning and then you go for your walk, you, you're creating a structure, but you're doing it from a place of loving, not from a place of when you go to a gym and you I see people on the tre- treadmills like, bah, 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 bah. it's like, yeah. okay, you know, how fruitful is it of the things that we're doing? And how can, you know, sometimes I'm just like, can I just wash this glass and loving right now? Can, can I do that? Because the idea of trying to change oneself or 
or out of circumstances, you know, all in one shot is so deeply overwhelming that it starts with one thing. One thing. And the movement. Sometimes, you know, I just physically turn my body when I notice that I'm caught in a pattern of the mind or the emotions or whatever, because it sort of breaks something within my nervous, like, you know, when people say, well, just look at it in a different direction. It's literally doing that kind it's of turning thing. on a dime. Yeah. And I think that there's, you know, obviously with everything that's happening, not only in our country and in the world, you know, we are a collective consciousness and then we have our own consciousness, but we're tapped into it all. And I think that it seems like we're more connected, but I feel like a, a, a deeper sense of loneliness and our society and within myself, because, you know, people are connecting in these false ways. But th this here I know is nourishment. Like this is like soul, it's soul food. Yeah. What, right? the podcast? Anytime. Yeah, this right here. I'm like connecting. sitting, connecting. I'm forced to listen yeah. and not because I, I, I want to listen, but then I learn things. Mm -hmm. The thing is you're always learning. We're always learning something. If like you might take one thing out of this, Adam, and go, you know what? He said this one thing. Or I might say, you know what? I got something out of that. I'm so full of apprehension my whole life. I just, I'm like, you know, I don't want to do that. Out of my comfort zone. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to a museum. I don't want to. And when I, my, my therapist is like, just write a number down of how you're feeling right now. I'm like one, yeah. one in terms of if you want to, how badly you want to go to this museum. I'm a one out of 10 right now. Yeah. I'm circling a one. Then go to the fucking museum and then come back and what number and write down the number you felt. Exactly. Even if it's a two, it's better than what you did. And most of the time, it's really good. It's about the spontaneity, right? Because we don't, you know, the lack of spontaneity or wanting to go try something is not because you're not spontaneous or we're not, or we're not adventurous. So we don't want to see the world. It's things that are not necessarily physical that so bog us down and inhibit us from wanting to partake of what else is out there. You know, it's like we create so many worlds inside of ourselves that we forget that part too. of it. Deep, deeply false, you know, and it's difficult because, um, you know, it takes it takes a lot of support. And I think right now, now more than ever, people need the support, even if it's one person, just like to like if you feel it, just be like, hey man, are you how are you? Check in like but genuine, one person. Genuine. Not, hey dude, love you, man. Good. See you later. Just one. That was right? an, that was another fucking thing that they told me. They're like, you know what? When someone says, Michael, thank you, it's not like every time someone says thank you, you have to go, Oh my God, thank you. But when someone genuinely has a moment where they go, Hey. I just want to say that that really, I really appreciate that. Like I, I get these letters and my Jess, my assistant sends them to me of the message board and you know, I, I would look them over, but now I'm looking at them in a different, with a different thought, like of this person took the time and look what it means to them. Hey, Michael, my name's so-and-so. Um, your podcast has really helped me in my life and I really feel it. And then I take the moment to write them back and say, you know, how appreciative I am of them and that they can do this and we can do this. And it's all about believing in not only yourself, but in other people being appreciative. They, they said something to me like, you know, take a moment, feel it. I know, Michael, you're uncomfortable. Embrace the discomfort. I want you to embrace it. That's your biggest issue. And I'm like, okay. So funny enough, my grandmother called like the next day and she at the same time I went to this place she had put my grandma and a, a grandfather in a memory facility and it was very difficult because he's my best friend she's my best friend and I go how you doing she goes like shit kid we started joking around I started making her laugh and um she said you're very you're a very special boy and I go ah oh, come on you are too I like or a girl well grandma I love you you know and then she goes no 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 listen to me for a second I said what she goes you're remarkable. I go, all right, stop it. All right, come on. And she goes, Michael, I want you to listen to me. I'm 91 years old. I have seen a lot of remarkable people in my life. You are the most remarkable boy I have ever met. I just start crying. And I was like, this is the moment they're talking about. I'm just allowing myself to go, fuck, man, just feel it's okay. It's like having, I'm for the first time, I'm having compassion for myself. I'm not like looking at myself and going, who the fuck are you? I would look sometimes in the mirror, not all the time because I'm not completely crazy, but I look myself in the mirror, Jamie, and I would go, who are you, dude? Who the fuck are you? And I go to bed. Yeah. And oh, now, and now I'm starting to just have a little more compassion going, dude, you're flawed. We're all flawed. You know what? You're a good dude. Fucking be the best you can. And tomorrow's a new day. And you know, that's what I'm working on.
Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got found, Rocket Money. <laughs> I, I found one. It, I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com inside. That's rocketmoney.com inside. Rocketmoney.com inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside. Yeah, I have my master's in spiritual science and psychology, and I went back to school, I think, when I was 21, whilst at the same time, you know, acting and because I was at a place where it was like, okay, what's really out there? What is, why am I here? You know? And, and it's like the, the, the higher we get, the more difficult it becomes because the negativity and, and our patterns, it makes me so much comes up in such a nuanced way to say, Hey, do you really believe in yourself? Do you really love yourself? Like, are you going to be the one to stand up for yourself when you're reliant on structures or people around you to tell you where you are in your in your life and in your path. And it's it's an illusion. It's not real. You know, like this, the, I would say like the past like eight, nine months, I've really had to like, oh, okay, you know, when you're talking about receiving, you know, when people are like, oh, that was so great or da 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 like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then like, and it was someone, I was doing an interview recently and, and the guy was like, do you, you don't realize what you've achieved in your life, do you? And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you, you won't take any credit for your success or how you've changed things or, you know, like you really laid it on me. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, 
he, he gave certain examples how I would answer a question, right? And I think one of it was like, um, we were talking about when I did James is a Girl with Nan Golden and Jennifer Egan, which is essentially, um, you know, when I was 16, Jennifer Egan and Nan Golden, um, you know, documented my life. And, uh, and when I first met Lena Dunham, I remember saying that I became a writer because of that. And I, you know, I, I read that and I put it on my wall, et cetera, et cetera. And I sort of briefly started to speak about this and then I started talking about something else. He's like, you won't even continue to talk about like personal things or ways that your work has changed people or your life. And I was like, because it just feels so gratuitous. He's like, it's just, it's not gratuitous to acknowledge what you've done. And I was like, it just feels very strange to talk about myself because I've always put myself in a position of being of service, right? Of like holding for other people and listening to other people and taking care of other people mm-hmm. to realize, holy shit, like, like I'm freaking out right now and none of these people will have my back because I've taken so much of the responsibility of taking care of them and being there that they've completely forgotten to ever ask if I'm doing well or if there's something that I need. And I have forgotten to say, this is a relationship, a friendship. This is not just about being the one that is of service to other people. It has to be reciprocated. It has to be reciprocated. But I set myself up in that way thinking that that was, you know, not in a false way. It was just very natural and authentic to me. But to then feel when I really deeply needed it, who's going to be there? I don't feel safe right now. Oh my God. I feel terrified that I can't keep this up. How am I going to keep succeeding, keep working, keep being passionate, keep doing what I love, keep being there for everybody, being there for myself? When you talk about looking in the mirror and you look in the mirror, you're like, who, who am I? It's like, it just takes so much work. And then the gentleness, right? It's that gentleness when you feel that gentleness come in. And it's just a deeply provocative thing because that's when you really could see who's going to meet me here. Who's going to meet us here in this vulnerability? Who's going to meet me here in this truth? Because you say that you love me. How much do you love me? Is it, do you love all of me? The places that I can't even love within myself, the places that I'm disappointed in where I have thought that I failed myself. But the fact is, is that if we could have done better in that moment, we would have done better. We could have, even when people are like fucking up or when I'm fucking up, I'm like, oh man, fuck. If I had the strength in that moment to do better, I would have done better. And sometimes it's reminding myself of that in times where, again, out in the world, you know, people are putting, you know, these museum-like ideas about what their life is like, Mm -hmm. which is such an interesting lie. You know, it's just, you can see. Everything you do is look. I drive this, I'm happy, I'm at a beach. If the person in front of the pyramids in Egypt or whatever just wasn't smiling, right? you know, they'd look miserable. And I'd go, I don't want to go on that trip. Right? It's all about, you know, people put it on. They I think we all on. do. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a natural thing. I think now more than ever, people are really doing it, which makes me rebel against it in a way, you know? Like now when everybody wants to take pictures and post them, you know, I, I think that's the thing about not wanting my phone all the time because the idea of having to document like this moment now. Someone texted me earlier, like, oh, we didn't get a group picture. And I was like, that never even crossed my mind that we should get a group picture to say, oh, we were here together. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, you know, I I don't want to have to think in that way. And then I realized, you know, that's sort of what society is telling everybody. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I was thinking when you were talking about this, about structure. Yeah. And... For some reason, I thought, why can't people be alone? Why, or why can't everybody has to work so much? I just love to work. What happens if you stop working? I just love it. I love it. I've never understood why people want to work so much. And then I realized once I go, you know what? Learn to be by yourself. Learn to be alone. That's okay. But it, it it's a lot harder than I thought. Ooh. And if you don't have structure, like I always thought, why should you need any kind of structure? Why can't you just be? Well, you're not a fucking hippie living on, you know, I, that 
the structure is part of the beingness. You, That's we what we need as human be. beings. Like we, you can't just sit at home all day. It, 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 this is how depression starts. Yeah. If you don't get the fuck up, like my therapist said, Michael, what happens in the morning? Uh, I have anxiety. What do you do? Uh, I don't know. I lie there for mm-hmm. how long? I don't know. Get the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Brush your teeth. Tell yourself you love yourself. Go lie down, meditate for 25 minutes, go for a walk, go eat and get your day. Mm-hmm. Have a plan for the week because no human being is going to be happy doing fucking nothing. They're all going to go crazy. Yeah. Period. You get in your head and you just stay there. And it's also about finding, okay, like, and this is also where it gets tricky, right? It's like, okay, because we're in a world where people are used to doing things, but it's like, okay, what can you do and how do you create doing something that is meaningful to you and that serves you? Not just saying yes to doing and then call that structure. Like, yeah, I'll just say yes to everything. We still have to have vigilance, eternal vigilance. We have to understand, okay, if we're choosing into something, does that make our energy expand with enthusiasm? Does it make us contract? Okay, what's the contraction coming from? Is that from fear, worry, anxiety, concern? Or is it coming from, oh, well, that's not just really for the highest good for me right now. Like you could get up and then, you know, go get drunk. You got up and did something, but that's not something you want to do. right? yourself. so it's yeah. it's about okay how do you how do we create a structure that supports us and rejuvenates us and fulfills us and isn't it interesting though like when you're when you're meditating and when you're moving your body or exercising all these things how how clearly who you are starts to come in you know what's crazy is this morning i was just like i think i meditated for 30 minutes and then i realized 20 of them like there's a possibility i might have been asleep <laughs> Yeah, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I was that's, when that's when you're that's when you're going up and out. But my mind is going all of like I am. Like people go, my brother goes, I can't do it. My mind runs. I go, dude, you're talking to me. My mind does not fucking stop. Yeah, but that's the problem that people think that they can't meditate, quote unquote, correctly, or they can't do it because of their mind. There's no wrong well, way to do it. Yeah, the only wrong way to do it is to not do it. Mm-hmm. Your mind is a part of your toolbox, just like your ego and everything else, right? So the mind is going to do what the mind is going to do. So if you're going to sit down and you're going to meditate, get a tone that works for you, a chant that works for you. Use a, utilize it as something like spiritual exercises, right? Keep a drone next to you. When the mind starts to go, oh, shit, I got to get bananas, and then I did it's like okay bananas right or go back to your breath and then you go back to your breath but it's the idea that like okay because we're here to complete right so the mind starts going in completion so sometimes if you just write it down quickly then go back and you keep doing it keep doing it yeah so what it does is it tells the mind okay well don't worry i got that yeah put that there now I can continue to do this. And it's part of your structure. It's part it of like, is. it's part of a new healthy routine. It's the internal structure. Yeah, absolutely. That is the support. I even do like a guided sometimes. Sometimes if I'm like, I'm too like messed up, you know, my mind's just everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's this one guy who's like, today we're going to go over the seven affirmations. Yeah. And you think, okay, this is cheesy, whatever. And then he goes, I've been meditating since I was 19. Like I used to meditate six hours a day for my thesis. I'm not kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> but this guy goes crazy. One, too much. be flexible. Say yes to things. Be good to your body. Exercise. Climb the stairs. Eat fruits and vegetables. It's funny because I'm like, oh, come on, man. But then I start to go, these are all good things. And I honestly have listened to him like almost every day. It's his seven affirmations. The guy's name's Jonathan Lehman on Insight Jonathan, Timer. Jonathan, it's 10 yeah. minutes. If you've never meditated, listen to Jonathan Lehman. 10 minutes. You're welcome, John. Uh, yeah. And you know what? I just do it and it's easy for me. And it's if you have ADD, just, li- just listen. And you just breathe and close your eyes and do it. And you go, hey, I meditated today. And the next day you'll meditate again. And all of a sudden a week later you go, you know what? I'm going to do 10 minutes without words. And then you might do 20 minutes and then it's just, it, it's an exercise that's really good for you. It's like you do pushups for your chest or whatever. To me, it's everything. It's for your mind. It, 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 it really is the, it, it really is everything. It is helping. Now you, now did you always have like a support system, like in terms of like family Were your parents really, were you guys close? Were you? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm very close with my family, but I think it was different because I started working when I was so young. I started working when I was about 13, 14. It's crazy. I look back. I'm like, what the fuck? Do you have a lot of regrets or a lot of resentment towards? Did you have to get through things where it's like, oh, I had. I mean, so why much did therapy. my parents let me so do much this? Therapy. Why did they? Yeah, of right, course. right, right. You know, because I came from a very structured, you know, happy-ish family. You know, that looked one way, and then my parents got separated when I was around that age, and then everything changed. And you know, again, it's like you. 
when you have kids, all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, man, we're just like bumbling idiots that are trying to take care of ourselves. And then we have children and we're like, uh, how do we not mess this up? You know, you start to have a lot of compassion for your parents because you realize like how difficult it is. And then you have this thing with, it's like someone takes your heart and they pull it out of your chest and they put it in another body and it's walking around. Like everything you care about is just in the world in these humans, right? And you just don't want to mess it up, you know? And, and it's always a reflection of, you know, your, for me, from myself. And, you know, in, in terms of my own parents, you know, coming into the compassion of that they did the best that they could wasn't always easy. And I hit up against that a lot because I look back and I'm like, wow, no wonder I'm so exhausted sometimes because I've been working for so long. So I've been exposed long. Yeah. for so long. And you know that feeling, the feeling of like being exposed. Um, but I was at 14 years old, you know, I was just like cutting through backyards and drinking out of the garden hoses and playing wiffle ball and catching yeah, fireflies man. and just like, duh. Yeah. You know, I'm watching, M- you know, MTV and I, I just, and you were modeling big time, right? You were became a big model bit fast. Yeah. Real you were fast. with, uh, I was a supermodel. At how old were you a supermodel? 14. 14 years old. A supermodel. Like you're Which hanging out crazy. with Rebecca like, Romaine Stamos? It was, was that, that a little later? I was with, you know, it was really like Kate and Naomi and Shalom and Carolyn Murphy and Karen Elson and... I mean, at that time, you know, it was just a different time in fashion. You know, it was very, uh, you know, it was just, a, it was exclusive, I guess you could say. Now it's just, it's very different. You know, it was a very tight group of people. But I look back, I'm like, my God, it's like child pornography. It makes me sick. It's like, okay, you can put a child in a bathtub and shoot them naked when they're 14 years old for Italian Vogue. Anywhere else in the world, that would be child pornography. And I look back and I'm like, how did that happen? I've been very outspoken about it and the laws have changed. But at that age, do you remember being incredibly uncomfortable and were people making comments and guys making you uncomfortable did you did you remember just being like this is wrong subconsciously maybe i didn't know because i was so afraid that if i didn't do what i was told that i would be sent home and i would somehow mess it up you always isn't that funny how we always as kids think no matter what it's our fault yeah it's true that's why i have to be so careful for with anything that i say or do i'm so aware with my kids because now they're getting that age where they're starting to decide what is right and what is wrong and social structures and yada, yada, yada. And it happens so young. And I'm just like, how does that happen? Like, I'm just, you know, how can I parent them in a way where they didn't mean where I just don't, I just don't want them to, you know, build up a bunch of shit that they have to undo later. If you're in a, you're doing Italian Vogue. Are you shooting in Italy? Obviously. No, you shoot everywhere. You shoot everywhere. It's not just Italian Vogue shoots there. No, no, American no, no, no. Vogue shoots shoots are, shoots are everywhere. They are. But did your mom go with you at 14? Or your she dad? She went the first summer, and then they, they told her that I was going to be a chaperone. And at that time, I had gotten, gotten a scholarship to a gifted school back home, and I did not want to go, man. I I never was able to go to school without being bullied. Like, I just... Bullied? Why? I, I don't Because I looked a particular way, but I wasn't social... I only wanted to read. I lived in a fantasy world. Like I was just. You're the opposite of me. Just a fantasy world. Social (laughs) (laughs) non-reader. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So when you went there, because that's when things started falling apart, when your parents weren't there and you started to get involved in all this stuff, that's when you kind of went downhill, right? Well, I mean, it's so weird. It's like looking at a different life. I knew that I wanted to be a filmmaker. Even though I was young, I was very intentional. Um, it was at a time uh, in you know fashion where it was like you know everybody was on something. I was a kid that was told to do what these adults said. And when you have these adults that are very famous and very wealthy, et cetera, et cetera, they're the the power people 
doing these things, it's very hard to know what you are supposed to do or not supposed to do. But I realized by the time I was 17 that that was not the industry that I wanted to stay in, that I was going to utilize it for everything I could and and then be a filmmaker. So I, I, I saved all of my money and I quit at the height of my career and they thought I was fucking nuts because at that time a supermodel had never gone to be a filmmaker or an actor there wasn't like multi-hyphenates then remember like there was a time oh yeah where you were either you a tv star or, or a movie, movie star, star or you're a model else. there's no crossover there was no so like crossover. who is this girl she might as well be a wrestler wanting to be an actor oh my they were like you're making millions of, like they were they're like you're you were making millions, millions of dollars you yeah. were making millions of dollars yeah did you save a lot of that money oh i saved almost all of it yeah so you're good yeah but you started like you got involved with people who were doing drugs and shit, right? Yeah. But you got involved with that. Yeah. How I mean, did you get out of that? And I, how deep did you get? My, I lost the first love of my life when I was seventeen, and I never picked up a drug again. You know, he was—he had a terminal illness. He had something called thalassemia, which is a very rare form of sickle cell anemia. And people that had this at that time really didn't live past like twenty-one years old, and. I could see it. I could feel it, um, that he was going to go. And I remember we were out here shooting and I, and I got, I could just see it. And I, I always said, I just want to go home. I want to go home. And I went back to Nebraska and four days later he died. And, um, it was really difficult because, you know, when you're a teenager and then you have president Clinton, you know, using your photograph, our photograph that we did, he's a brilliant, brilliant artist. And said that we it was heroin chic and we were glamorizing heroin. It's like, dude, we're artists and we're kids and we took these photographs and you're using it, right? We didn't even know what was going on or what was happening. I don't really know how to describe it. I, it was the most horrific thing because it's like someone taking your art and then saying that we were the ones that were doing this thing. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was like, your picture? Yeah, a picture that he and I took. So we would always take pictures together. Uh, David Trancy, he was a very brilliant photographer. And and they, and they and you're saying President Clinton at yeah, the time? Yeah, put it up and used that image because when he died, it sent shockwaves through the entire industry in the world. And, you know, but he didn't die of an overdose. And that was the really difficult thing is that, you know, he, it wasn't... Sickle cell anemia. Yeah. And so then, you know, here you have all these people writing down history in a particular way. And then I lost, you know, the love of my life and my best friend. And, you know, I was like, fuck this place. I got to get out of this place. And everyone else was still doing all this, you know, using and doing all this stuff and living their glamorous lives. And I just, I I didn't want to do that. I just wanted, I I was done. Was it just an easy uh, decision right after that? You're like, I'm done? Or were you I couldn't even take an Advil. I had such severe anxiety. I thought I was having a heart attack all the time. And I didn't know what a panic attack was. I was a kid. I was a kid. And I remember I was on, I, I was standing on the corner, I'll never forget this, I was on the corner of St. Mark's and 2nd, and I remember people like getting out of the delis and they were walking around with coffee and like hailing taxis and I was thinking, how is it that I've lost everything and the world just keeps moving on? I didn't understand death, I couldn't understand that the person I had loved the most had been like ripped away from me and that the world just kept moving on, right? And that's the interesting thing about grief and I'm sure anybody that's experienced um death and loss understand what i'm talking about and i remember like looking up to this guy and saying if there's a fucking god you better tell me i need to know because if if there's no if there's nothing here then i don't want to live i can't i can't live anymore i can't live show me show me show me i was like crying out inside to like the sky you know because i didn't know what to do with all that i was so young and i went to the bookstore and I saw this book called Spiritual Warrior. It was written by a man named John Roger. And like the opening of the book said something like, if you believe everything that you read in this book, then you're an idiot. I was like, oh, this is cool. (laughs) I dig this. And then he was talking about how when you read something, you're giving information that, you know, try it. If it works for you, great. If not, have the wit to let it go. And in that book, I learned about forgiveness I learned about freeform writing. I learned about the Anahu and meditation. I learned about spiritual structure. That's how it all started? That's how it started. And, 
you know. So God that, was that bookstore. That God right was that bookstore. God was this book. John that Roger changed that my life. I I literally cannot imagine my life. I could never function without it. Just think if you would have walked into a different store. It could have been way different. That's when you see, though, that there is a higher purpose that comes I would have walked into Spencer's gift store, probably. And you know what? And and looked for God on like a Morrissey t-shirt. And you would have found it. Maybe. Because here's the thing. When we really need it, I believe we find it. Yes. Because it was a prayer from my heart, and I didn't know what a prayer was. Yes, I went to church and whatever, but like when I talk about a heart's prayer, it's that thing that's so deep inside of you that you don't even know that you're asking for it. You don't even know what you want. But something bigger than you hears it and pulls you out of it. So when you're trying to make sure, when I'm trying to like, oh, how do I say this affirmation this way? Or how do I create a very intentional spiritual life? It's like, fuck the words. It doesn't matter sometimes. Sometimes when you're drowning in your overwhelm and your fear and all of this stuff, that thing that picked you up and took you up to Connecticut, you know what I'm talking about because that's the heart's prayer. And it just happens when we need it. I think you're right. I think, you know, there is sort of that feeling, that innate feeling that you just, you can't explain to other people. You can't tell people to believe in God. You can't like, and, and look, it's not our job and I'm not, because I'm, here's the thing. Once you, that's I, what I loved about that book. Right. Cause it's like the experience. Yeah. No one can take away your experience. No one can take away my experience. And people may it's listen to be like, feel. Oh, that's crazy. Or da, 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 da. It's all how you feel. Yeah. It's what you feel inside. And that is, it, you, you can't, nobody could can tell you differently. Nobody could say, yeah, well, where's this? What's if you feel something, it's, it's a, like a gut reaction. It's something that just goes, ah, I know what that is. Yep. And whatever that is for you, whether it's spiritual or religious or whatever, it's something that only you can understand. And that feeling is a cool feeling when it happens, when you're just going, huh, oh yeah, you know what that, I know what that is. That's special. That's, that's different right there. Yeah. Tell me this. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think you're, you're out, you're absolutely right. And there's no arguing with it, right? No, it no doesn't argument. matter. What and by people... the way, why should you argue with it? It's like you believe what you believe and you love what you love and what works for you works for you. And like whatever works for everybody else, great. You and know, we're all just trying to make it through this game it. called life, man. You know, we're Dude. all just trying to to get through it. So what 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 supports you in getting through it? You know, Dude. for me, it's that. So you did uh, you did Black Summer. Mm-hmm. I know how he had jumped around there. Just boom. I love that. That's God, death, Black Summer. Sometimes like, I'm always go from A to Z to F. I really liked it. I mean, it's really dark, and I love zombies, and it was different, and it was chaotic. And all I kept thinking was, how the fuck is she doing this? I mean, how, like, physically Ooh. and mentally? Like, I don't know how you prepared like that. And I, it was before you had a child, right? That you no. Shot, before that, you had the second one, right? No, that was after. I just shot that last year. How did you prepare for that? Um, uh, can you really prepare method, for that? Yeah. So, I mean, you hired zombies, your method <laughs> I hired zombies, you know, it was already in me, you know, everything. Here's the thing about the show that is really important to me that it's the idea that we could utilize a specific or certain genre blending to tell our perception about what was happening in this country. And when I saw kids getting ripped away from their parents at the fucking border, I was done. You know, because I've been very politically active for a very long time and long before it was okay. You know, like when people were like, what are you doing? Shut up. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get fired. Um, Don't rock the boat. You know what I mean? For real. And now everyone's like, you know, outspoken. But Well, if someone's not outspoken, no one will ever will be. Yeah. Someone has to lead the, you know, you just, I mean, someone has to do it. Yeah. You know. And we all have to do it in ways that like, you'll know when you're, when that, when that comes. And with this one, you know. The quote unquote, there was never zombies even in the script. People were getting sick. Ah. And the sickness is is. a sign, yeah, for the division. It's all some, everything is symbolic in our show. Sure. So when you go back and you rewatch it, it's a meditation on what's happening. And so that's why it opens the way that it does. We barely use any dialogue. We tell, we have no backstory. We don't use subtitles. We shoot, you know, we shoot it like a play. Like we do some ballsy stuff and, and it was like, okay, let's just hope that it catches on and thank God for Stephen King, man, because Stephen King loved it. I mean, he wrote about it twice and I just, th- I literally thought I was going to die. Cause I don't, Sam Jackson taught me something really good. He's, he's like, we were on a press tour for uh, a film we did together. And I was of course like asking him about his favorite movies. He didn't blah, blah, blah. And, and he's, and we started talking about reviews and he said, I never read the reviews, Jamie, because if I believe the good ones, I'm going to believe the bad ones. And so I'm not really adept to reading I'll about just read the good ones. You know what I mean? How people receive it. But when he when Steven wrote about it, I was like, 
and then all of a sudden, boom, people could see it because he was able to articulate in the way that we were giving it to people. And um, by the end of that show, I thought I was losing my mind because when you're producing it, starring it, my kids were there and I, you know, my kids are, are always raised on set, but like the last 10 days, I flew them back so that they could start preschool and and I went back up and I was like, I'm losing my fucking mind. Like I, I'll n- my friend Jason Dolan, one of my writing partners, thank God he was there. But I remember we were watching a movie or something downstairs. No, we were watching Queer Eye. No, Hannah Gatsby. Hannah Gatsby. Because that's the, the – she like Hannah, thank God, kept me alive through that project. Um, and I, I remember going up the stairs. And again, I felt the pan- like I had a panic attack. And I went out on the lawn in Calgary and I got down on my hands and knees. And I was like – Oh my God, I think I'm going to like, what is, I felt like something really terrible was going like to happen. Overwhelming. Real, no, all consuming. I thought I was going to have a heart attack and die. And I was like, okay, this isn't Jamie. This is Rose. What is this thing? Why do I feel like the world's going to end? You know, it's like when you, you know that, I'm sure you know yeah, what I'm talking oh about. When God. you're so merged with the character in the story, you're not even trying. It just is. And I was like, uh, like towards the end, I really. You're losing it. I was losing it. Um, you know, but it was, it was really good to be out of the country. <laughs> I, I needed to get out of America and it was really good to tell this story and with, you know, great storytellers and, and tell this story about, you know, the, our country and the way that we saw it at the time. Well, if Stephen King likes it, I think everyone out there should probably check it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Very proud of it. How to cook your mother. To, is that happening? How to cook your daughter? Sorry, your I was daughter. thinking of the movie I would have done. How to cook your daughter? How to cook your mother is what I would have. But you're, the movie is pre-production. How to cook your daughter? Yeah, we started working on that like mm, a year and a half ago. Is that going to happen? Because I just love the title. I wanted to mention it. I believe it is going to happen. It's just got to be like the right time because it's such a, a really intense film, you know. And I, but that's the one thing that I love about what we do is like. Right when you you're getting ready to start one thing, then all of a sudden that pushes, and then something else comes always, forward. First you like always. you're like what the fuck, and then it always the storytelling seems to happen at the right time. You know, in the beginning of this interview, and God, this goes by so fast, but we talk about helping. You know, I think I took what's called an indiogram, and mm-hmm. you take an indiogram, guys. You can go online and take it, but the, if you it, a therapist gave me it, so it's there's a, there's one that's pretty specific. But you answer all these questions as honestly as you can you really you're just cheating yourself and then you get to see what you are and i was a helper uh, i was a loyalist and i was an enthusiast and they said you have to be really careful you're a helper too and you have to, you talked about how much you're a helper and you have to be really and careful. A loyalist. well because what happens is all your energy gets put into everything else everybody and then it doesn't come back to you and you don't have the energy to really take care of yourself. Yes. And I didn't really, I, I didn't realize that. And so when I think of you, I, I see you all the time. You're always helping like our, our friend Selma Blair, you know, who's an unbelievable human being. And we worked together years ago and she got diagnosed with MS and she's incre- incredibly brave. And, but I see that you've, you know, you were calling doctors and you're like, you know, you're there for her. You've known her a long time. And, you know, you, this is, look, it's easier. I was the first one that knew. Yeah. And it's easier for me to, to, to go, well, I'm a single guy. I got my dogs. I could, I could help someone, but you got your kids, you got your family, you got your career, you got this, you got that. And that's like, boom, now you gotta, you know, you're doing that. And it's, and that takes a lot out of you. Yeah. I, I had lost my other best friend and my teacher two years ago and she had cancer and I was taking care of her and she died in my arms and it, I just realized at that moment that it was like, oh, I've been writing these PSAs and doing all these things for this moment so that I could be of service to, so that I could help this person that is beloved and, and has given so much not only to me, but, you know, to our community and help her, you know, support her in a way where she could live her life or remaining days with some kind of integrity. And and it's like being a soldier in a war, really, because you don't realize what you've done until after it. And with Selmy, you know, I don't know anything different. That's one of my oldest best friends. You know, she's been my best friend for over 20 years. And I know how to do that thing. I know how to deal with doctors and advocate and, and, and make sure that they're in the, I, I can do that part, you know, but it's not easy because, you know, Selma had called me and she had said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I haven't been there for you when you were sick. And she, like, it came from such a deep place and that, you know, I've never said this out loud before, obviously. It struck me that even when she said that, I couldn't even take it in. You know, I couldn't even take in her sorry. 
because the other part of me inside that just wanted to keep her alive and healthy and here and now was still running. And then, and then it did hit me a couple of days ago and I was like, wow, I'm sorry too to myself. I'm sorry that I couldn't, you know, that I couldn't take that in or that I can't, can acknowledge when I need that kind of support, you know, and it's those moments where it's like, oh, okay, when everything else is failing you and your physical body is failing you and you see people that you love and you yourself are coming to these very big realizations, it's like those moments that we must hold on to that, you know, because when you see, when we get to that place where it's like, oh, everything's going to break, that's where the truth kind of comes up. It really comes up and we got to seize it and, and hold on to that and, and receive of it. You know, it's just a very wild, interesting time right now. And it's beautiful to see you um, come back from doing this work, you know, because a very, very good friend of mine, like I said, you know, went to where you went, it changed our life. Yeah. I think we know that person. Yeah. And that person got me to go there. Yeah. <laughs> so I also know this person. <laughs> you do. Me as there. Yeah. Me also. So we, um, but yes. Hey, sometimes, and it took me a while cause I'm like, wait, how much is this? And it's, yeah. I know it's like crazy. And that's the thing though. It's like so expensive, but it's not even yeah. about that. It's like, it's also, then I get pissed off. I'm like, man, so many people need this kind so of thing. And they don't have the money, man. And it and, pisses and, and, me and off. And by the way, Zach, as thoughtful and amazing as he is, he is thinking of he's doing something. He wants to do something where people can afford to do things like this. Yeah. Because it is important to be like, you know, I mean, I'm lucky and fortunate. Like, I'm not like fucking, you know, I'm not Brad Pitt. I don't have Brad Pitt's money. I'm just saying oh, I was able to man, afford could, to do if this. If I could just get in a car and go do that for three weeks, do you know I would in a heartbeat? I used to do those kinds of things, all that, like go away and all that. It takes that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by the it way, it takes that, and it's ass kicking, man, on every single well, level. Oh, thank you. I'm, you know? and I'm, by the way, I'm taking a moment right now. Thank you. Seriously, thank you. Thank you. Because it means a lot. It means a lot to me, and it, it was very hard. And um, you know, I'm proud of myself for doing it. And uh, you talked earlier, and I just, I, I it just rang a bell when you said something about you don't feel safe and you don't feel these things. You, you I forgot what the con- context you were talking, but for me. Wherever I am, it's it's not that I don't love. I love my friends. I love my family. I love. I'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. But for some reason, I didn't know it till I got there to this place in Connecticut. I realized I have never felt safe until that moment. And when I felt safe, I started getting emotional. Emotions came out of me that I didn't know I had. That. I remember this is also, I'll end with a funny story. This, this woman was so gentle. Her name was Alicia. And she was like, um, you know, she had this voice and she was like, you know, um, it's, it's, it's okay to, it just made me feel comfortable the way she was talking. And I thought I was already, I, I was done mourning my grandparent, my grandfather, because my grandfather has been, he's had Alzheimer's for five years. And I, I feel like it's a long process. And it's, that is not something that, just but happened. I thought I was, I thought I was like every year I was mourning him and I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm fine now. I'm going to be fine. I want my grandfather to be out of this misery and all these my things. My grandfather had it too. I know dude. And it's all fucking awful. it's awful. The worst thing I looked at her and I started fucking crying. And I was like, and my grandmother's going through this time and she's alone for the first time in her life. And my grandfather's here and he was always there for me. He was my best friend and he doesn't want to be alive. He doesn't want to like, you know, he, this is, he's a brilliant man and he has to go through this. And it's the only disease that kills you that there's no cure for. And I was just getting so emotional. And I realized I had not mourned him. I was still, I was bottling it all up, which is so unnatural. It's so unhealthy. You have to let this shit out. And I felt so safe with this woman, Alicia, that I let it out and it poured out. And she goes, well, you know, we could stop. I go, no, no, no. I, I feel like a human being. I feel like a, I felt like such a fucking psychopath my whole life, you know, and now I'm crying and I just want to keep crying because yeah. it feels like I, I am a fucking live. Right. That's the thing. Right. Like in this, a lot of the times in the city, we don't feel safe because we always have to, we're acting whether we know it or not. Yeah. I, I was tired of putting shit on. It's exhausting. It. It's fucking exhausting. I just so want to feel. And you know yeah, what? And be fucking honest about it and not have to explain yourself and, and you know, or yeah. preface it and say, oh, I'm not crazy, but dot, 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 or da, 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 but that, who fucking cares? Yeah. And she looked at me and she said, Michael, we don't have to do acupuncture today. Ah! 
I thought I, she was my therapist. I didn't put it together because I'm going on so many meetings. Yeah, I was but so it's all, 80, the light was already there. Dude, so you mean, it was, the light was already there. I man. started crying the and laughing. Was already there. And, and she's she, seen it all. By the she's way, she all, has. She goes, she goes, this is exactly where you should be. Yeah. And it was just, it was a magical moment. And you know what? This has been a magical moment for me. You know, a, a lot of times I think guests come on and, you know, we don't really talk about career as much as I just want to like, open your mind up to maybe the audience gets some advice or can relate to what you're saying and, or what I'm saying. And it's like, it's always therapy for me. <laughs> it is. This is therapy right now. Good. Good. You know, I love it. And look, I love, you know, we almost got that. We never have worked together and, and Kyle and I wrote this and with Hans, we wrote this, I know, man. this cool, uh, area 51 movie. And now with all the area 51 and Bob Lazar and all these things coming out, maybe it's time to revisit this area 51 movie, but you, you and I we are can, supposed to be the can, leads. We can, we can make something new. Yeah. It was called the site. The remember? Site. Yeah. Yeah. And we made a cool trailer mm-hmm. and we tried to sell it. Oh, it's not the right time. It's never the right time. It's never the right time. But I could have seen you in that role. I could still see you as that role. It was like, it was like a Sigourney Weaver kick-ass, so like, fuck you kind yeah. of woman. It's, it's, we need a movie like that now. Yeah, we do. You know, where women just kick ass. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I think I died pretty early in the movie. No, I don't, I don't really. <laughs> you killed yourself off. But Jamie King, so um, where can they find you on social media? At Jamie, J-A-I-M-E underscore King on Instagram and Twitter. Guys, check out Black Summer on Netflix. It's fantastic. Stephen King fucking loved it. I'm really excited. This has been a great interview for me. I, I really am glad, so glad you're open. And Jamie King, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.